Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. What is up? Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where together, you and I, we get to dive deep with some of crypto and Bitcoin's most influential leaders to truly, truly understand how this movement came to be, the stories, the fun, the truly crazy ideas. We are the epicenter of radical thoughts, revolutionary ideas, and the people who are not afraid to turn the world upside down, those are the people who join the show. Today, we're diving headfirst into a war zone, the battleground of data, the digital era's most coveted resource, the oil of our generation. This is the lifeblood of the internet, and right now, it's under the control of the almighty Web2 tech giants. But in the shadows, a rebellion is growing, Web3. An unexplored frontier is rising, with DeFi and digital decentralized identity, promising not only to level the playing field, but to reconstruct it entirely. We're about to explore the trenches of this ongoing battle, from the silent, almost invisible data hacks and harvesting to the loud and clear call to arms for digital self-sovereignty. This isn't just tech talk. This is the struggle for control of your digital identity and your online existence. There's a battle going on right now as we move into Web3. You guys around the world, you see it happening. And now we need to understand how we're gonna protect ourselves for the future. So we have a great lineup of three revolutionaries on our side. We have Gregor from Slovenia. He joins us from the Swarm Foundation, a freedom fighter advocating for a fair and ethical data economy. Al Morris joins us from Koi Labs a digital architect constructing a community-driven network for full ownership of online content. And last but not least, Marcus Levine. I worked with these guys in 2018 at the XYO Network when they launched, so it was great to talk to them and see five years later how the battle for decentralized digital identity is going. They are a pathfinder connecting real-world data with the realm of blockchain smart contracts. And these guys and girls are not just building new technology. They're toppling empires and rewriting rules. This isn't just about data. It's about power, control, and the future of your digital life. If you've ever felt like a pawn in a game controlled by invisible tech giants, this episode is for you. So fasten your seatbelts, my friends. It is time to storm the castle. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and we're back talking about this amazing technology. Our theme is data this week. We've been talking about decentralized identity, data, a lot of these different aspects of, of the technology. We're still seeing data hacks, harvesting, all these different things happening, and there are a lot of solutions going on. I'm excited today to talk to you with my guest, Gregor Gauter. Gregor, did I say it okay? Yes. <laughs> You're the executive director at the Swarm Foundation and Swarm, a decentralized data storage and distribution technology. Previously co-founded Data Fund, a project building a compliant data exchange and consent management. You also launched the Fair Data Society, a nonprofit complement to Data Fund that reimagines a fair and ethical data economy. You're an outspoken supporter of this, and we're going to talk to you about this today. I want to talk to you about Swarm really quick to give a brief introduction to everyone because we've been on this topic. Uh, Swarm is a decentralized data storage and distribution technology. It's a base layer infrastructure for Web3 on which developers can create, host, and store 
decentralized applications and all their data, NFT metadata. So not just like the transaction, but the actual metadata itself, media files. It's an open source peer-to-peer network similar to BitTorrent, but it's, there's a structural difference and that's in the storage contract itself. We've talked to so many other popular decentralized storage solutions like IPFS and, and the like. And in those, all those solutions, the contract is made with, with the store. It's not made with the architecture itself. And so that's kind of the, the major difference here. And being so permissionless and being able to deliver very, very fast data back to whoever's asking for the data. Did I explain it correctly? You explained it great. It's a really, really good explanation. So yeah, I think you hit the nail. What's been interesting to me about your life and the projects that you've worked on is, is you've like adhered that you're, you're trying to follow these like ethical guidelines and you believe that organizations need to follow them too. And it's not just about making money for the shareholders. There needs to be some sort of like own internal ethics charter, if you will. Do you believe this to be true even now today? Yes, uh, even, even more strongly, uh, as, as it uh, turns out. It's uh, essentially, you know, like thinking about and uh, starting with ethics by design in a way and thinking about it creates deeper uh, foundations uh, for what we want to build. And at the same time, hopefully it also acts as a way to uh, prevent unintended consequences. It can be very easily that we just rebuilt the same broken internet as we have today, but just using different uh, infrastructure. And here is uh, why ethics becomes important. Things like uh, data interoperability, which we've been advocating for ages now, it's a uh, yeah. sure antidote to surveillance capitalism and to the existing business models. So it's um, not just the tech that needs to evolve. We need to build technology in such a way that it allows for ethical business models. So what is it about the Swarm that's ethical? With Swarm, Swarm is a base layer infrastructure. In this way, Swarm, many of the things that we are uh, discussing about ethics do not directly apply because uh, it's uh, essentially a machine-to-machine kind of interaction. However, um, however, it's already in a way, you know, like how we build it, that uh, Swarm has extraordinary privacy properties, for example, that uh, sets the dispositions for how the applications on top are built. Uh, with uh, the permissionless nature, it also sets another set of dispositions. Then continuing on that uh, data privacy, interoperability, and uh, uh, data sovereignty are kind of like the uh, core things which are embedded already in the base layer infrastructure. Then to that, it also comes that uh, essentially the technology that we build. So uh, how do we define our own mission? How do we define the mission yeah. as a collective? And uh, our, we say that our mission is to empower digital freedom by making data unstoppable. Why we do this? Because on one side, it bring, it helps reclaiming privacy for the individual. But also at the same time, it uh, brings uh, trust into the data economy in a similar way as cryptocurrencies bring trust in a financial economy we, and by not needing to trust a single actor. There's, a, there's already a bunch of things when we think about on the core level. Then added to this is also what kind of ecosystem do we want to grow? So it's in th- that sense, it's important to start these uh, kind of discussions and to also shape positive incentives 
for the ecosystem to hopefully develop in uh, in the desired direction. Here we do need to note that in uh, the way how Swarm is an open and permissionless technology, we do not have control over how the ecosystem will evolve. However, we can do our best. And here comes again ethics into place. Yes. When did this become so important for you? Like when did you start raising this flag, if you will? So it was actually, this was, even before I joined, uh, I joined basically the Web3 space, the blockchain space. Um, it was back in the day when I was uh, doing my master's in cognitive science. And uh, one of the specializations was user modeling. Hmm. So, and I, I was studying this because basically I wanted to develop healthcare applications that uh, help with the well-being of the individual, like, uh, you know, like helping with depression, which is a global phenomenon, but uh, especially in developing countries, there's not enough support. While studying user modeling, it was, it became like really clear to me how powerful personal data can be. And developing applications that deal with personal data in the healthcare space, it was as a developer, I realized I do not want to store this data on my server. It would be creating a honeypot where uh, if this uh, data would be compromised, it could really mess up with the lives of other people who would be trusting and using the app. And as a user, as a potential user, I also knew I do not want this data to be hopping from one cloud to the other. So I want to know where this data resides and I want to know who can see the data and that's under my control. So this was yeah, a way, in a way, a key insight that only decentralized storage can address these kind of things. Moreover, then when we think about, when we add also other layers of it, you know, today there's all the rage about AI. Yeah. Uh, but also a lot of already, a lot of now the discussion with AI is happening. Where did you get the data? You know, and uh, I think uh, Elon Musk said that Twitter is going to sue Microsoft because Microsoft used Twitter data uh, to train their AI models and things like that. So we see the data, data does have in the ever more digital world has a lot of value. These are the other way. So again, by reclaiming the privacy for the individual, we enable them to own the data uh, and to manage it and also be uh, an equal stakeholder in this data supply chain, if we want to call it like that. So if there's more and more data generated in the digital world, the distribution of that value also needs to be fair. And these are the dispositions that one creates. The data is just going to get more more complex and everything. And that's why we saw Reddit also go dark this week. A lot of subreddits went dark because Reddit's starting to charge for its API because ChatGPT and some of the other ones are all using that data for free. Same thing like you just said, Microsoft and Twitter. So that's really interesting. And now that we're in this year, it's 2023, is the internet being, as we're rebuilding the the new internet, are you happy with how people are treating data now? I know it's a big part of the regulation, especially how AI is going to be regulated in Europe, at least right now. We know that it's going to be based on like, where where does the data come from and how is the model trained? That needs to be open and that'll be that'll be where the regulations lie. But that's definitely a huge, huge factor in it. So how do you feel about it now? It's kind of mixed back. Um, in a way, you know, we see ChatGPT, I think it's the fastest growing product in, uh, yeah. in history. And uh, it's people are 
just, you know, like privacy is just put on the side when people are interacting with ChatGPT. So in a way, these kind of tools uh, are even doing less for uh, privacy of uh, the individuals. Um, at the same time, as you mentioned, Europe is uh, being quite proactive. It's um, Very putting in all kinds of uh, policies and regulations in place. And while this might not be perfect in all the aspects, it's, I think what is good is that they are put out fast, that there's also um, uh, regulatory certainty, and it's kind of also an iterative process. So uh, the European Commission is definitely watching how GDPR is working, what the data markets acts and uh, all other strategies are doing. So, And we can, I think, also expect upgrades uh, based on that. So it's an evolving field. Yeah. What is the GDPR that you just mentioned? With GDPR, it's a uh, general data protection regulative. It's, it, kind of, it basically regulates how enterprises or uh, organizations deal with personal data in Europe. So uh, in this way, it's kind of starting to uh, shift, uh, shift also the balance of power when it comes to dealing with data, empowering more uh, individuals, how their data is being used and shared. And individuals also have the possibility to request that data and uh, basically also to request that this data is being deleted. So it's really? a first, uh, I would say it's a first step, yes. Yeah, it's really interesting. So what in in a, in, a, in a perfect world what what would and if all data was being used on swarm or a lot of the data was being used on swarm what is that what does that world look like to you and how does the world how does that look like to to an average user like myself So in a perfect world I would say probably re regulation comes second as sort of like more as a support it's we already built be, uh, build systems that uh, respect human rights, enable fair distribution of value, are against exploitation of the individual. So uh, ideally, regulation wouldn't even be needed. Um, and here, in a way, you know, like, um, yeah. I think a good example here is Bitcoin. It's like with Bitcoin, when one makes a transaction, you don't, one does not need regulators to make a transaction or to move money from A to B. Of course, there are cases and then situations when regulation comes into place, but it's kind of secondary in that sense. Yeah. So, um, so that would be maybe more on the builder side, from the user perspective. From the user perspective, it, in a way, a lot of the things wouldn't even be noticeable by the user because they would be happening under the hood. It would mean that applications would be unbundled. Today, today we are convinced in this notion that application consists of a interface, algorithms, and the data. You know, when we look on our mobile phones, all our apps are sil data silences for itself. What if, what if we could have like all the data from the applications in one spot and access it freely? Then with uh, the use of AI and things like that, this data could really start working for us. We could yeah. merge different data streams, get better insights, also, when anonymizing that data, we could contribute it in a public data set, improve the society, also monetize in uh, responsible ways. And we have this kind of architecture in a way already before the internet or when just thinking about the PC, you know, it's like um, on the on my computer, if I decide to make a song, I, I start a music software program and it saves audio files to my hard drive. And then I say, I want to make a video of that song. I start a video production program and I just 
I just select those audio files from my hard drive. They are not within the program. The internet and the mobile world kind of changed this. And now with decentralized storage, we hope to actually bring this back. So to have, in a way, let's say a cloud, I, in, uh, I see Swarm as the next generation of cloud in this sense, where we have no data silences and where data works for us, uh, while our rights are also respected and we're not being exploited. I love that. Gregor, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's been great. I'm really excited that this podcast, The Charlie Shrem Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO, David Waxman, back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless. And that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates. I've been following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence, and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, they're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are gonna face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more. You guys are gonna love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. Well, if you're just joining us, everyone, we're on this great subject talking about those who are using crypto and blockchain, Bitcoin, and all the these wonderful inventions that came over the last 10 years. As one of our previous guests said it, he said that we want to make sure we rebuild the new internet, making sure that data is safe and secure and private, but also where it works for us and it's not siloed so much. Another person who's working really hard on this goal, his name is Al Morris. He joins us today. Al, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, yeah, Charlie. Honored to be here. I mentioned this before we got on at the very beginning in 2016 when I first got into the space. One of the first things I did was profile on you after the YouTube channel we were running back then. So it's so great cool. to meet an original cypherpunk and flush. I hope it was a good profile, as they say. I'm, I'm sure it was. I'm, I'm honored. I'm excited that you're still in the industry. A lot of people don't last. Not only that, you're not doing profiles on YouTube anymore. You're now the CEO and co-founder of Koi Labs, and you're the chief architect of the Koi Networks. What was interesting, you were telling me that Koi, K-O-I-I, stands for Knowledgeable Open Infinite Internet. Why did you choose that? Before I get into what you do, like where did that come from? So there's actually an underlying protocol, which we call a CARP, which is a compute attribution and reputation protocol. But a CARP happens to be a type of fish, and a Koi is a type of CARP. So we're, we are a Koi as an implementation of a CARP. Very fun, very silly. The, the original idea of this, though, uh, was way before I even got into crypto. So in 2015, I was flashing uh, routers with custom firmware to try to build a decentralized internet. And I actually discovered crypto as a way of kind of extending that original vision of trying to create like peer-to-peer connectivity around the world. I remember that. So routers were and still are like last mile, right, if you will, where where people are are coming and they're, they're having the, the hardware in their homes or their businesses or whatever. 
It doesn't matter whatever internet service provider you use or anything else you use, it's still hitting that router. So I remember there was a time that we wanted that we were trying to like flash out routers and you had this very, very novel idea of like using that to rebuild what, like a, like a new mesh type of network? Yeah, we wanted to have a completely mesh internet um, because there's really no reason that you should have to send something all the way up to the backbone if your neighbor has what you want, right? So if, if you wanted to stream Netflix and your neighbor already has that file downloaded, you should be able to get it directly from them. Or like, I, actually, I've seen you talk about the Wikipedia problem in a couple of instances where it's like, you know, we had this amazing thing with the printing press where we spread the ability to publish and it was like everybody could suddenly start publishing. And then with it, the internet, with Wikipedia and things like that, now we kind of have that same power, but it's very much in the hands of a few because there's only so many people that can like set up an internet backbone or that have a data center that can actually host all this content. Uh, so we wanted to fix that. We wanted to fix the same power and give it to people who just have a computer or a Wi-Fi router at home. I remember when the Arab Spring was happening and there were all those revolutions, that's what they were doing. Those countries were like, it was people were trying to publish YouTube videos and blog posts about like what was happening in some of these places. Those governments were like shutting off not only access to the internet, but they were like blocking access for things like uploading and, and being able. So it wasn't just that the internet was free, but if the mechanism in which content is being uploaded and downloaded at the last mile, you know, on your phones or your home routers, if those are not decentralized or to a point where there's no centralized power or control or someone can push a button and turn it all off, then there's really no point where the internet is not like a, a right or free anymore. It becomes like something that we have to ask permission or like a privilege that can be taken away from us. And I don't feel like that's right. So you're building out Koi here. And what's interesting is when you go to your website, you tell people to come download a node and you're even specifying different software for different types of chips. And then at the same time, you're allowing people to earn money for, for running these nodes. And what, what's going on there? Okay, so the node is like pretty much the hub of this entire thing. We have team members in Pakistan and Colombia, a lot of places around the world where people sometimes actually do have like internet turned off on them or they have specific services that get turned off. So like the VPN server will just become unavailable or a social network, like they just ban Telegram in Pakistan which is crazy because I have guys there that work in crypto and like you need to have Telegram to work in crypto. So what these tasks do, which tasks are what you run on these nodes, a task allows you to participate in a like, conscientious, forward-thinking, decentralized community. And so when you run a task, you're joining that community and you're providing a computer that has, is a part of a hub of that network. The amazing thing about this is we made tasks so easy that like anybody with very basic JavaScript can write one. But we're also working on being able to package things as complicated as AI or even like running a Bitcoin node into the same framework. So a task could be join a Bitcoin pool or it could be run the backbone of my VPN. And these all run on the same application. So you do this one click install. And then after that, it's a couple of clicks to add each task as you go. And you stake for each task that you want to join. So these are like highly computational tasks that you don't want running on a cloud per se. You want them to be running on individual machines. Well, it's all about self-sovereignty, right? So in many cases, a lot of these tasks are things where like you need lots of individual machines at the edge to be able to do it. Um, and then if you need like a higher capacity device, you know, there are people with gaming rigs, you know, they maybe have a couple of GPUs that they're not using. Yeah. And you can actually run those on those devices as well. Um, so it's all about like opting in with what you have. The really cool thing is it actually goes beyond just the hardware specs that you have, and it goes into like the access that you have. So like, if you have a Twitter username and password, you can run our Twitter scrape. Oh. And now you can participate in the background on your computer. What we're doing is we're logging into your Twitter account. We're using it to download tweets. We're never going to post anything on your behalf. We're never looking at like your DMs or anything. But we're going and downloading all these tweets. And you can tell what we're doing. So you can see the open source code for this task. 
Um, but we can download all of this information with just a bunch of usernames and passwords. And it looks like a bunch of users from, from Twitter's perspective. We're going towards a world where, as you see with, with just this week, with Microsoft and, and Twitter being in a, in a lawsuit because you know Microsoft's AI is scraping Twitter data for free. And then you saw another situation of Reddit going dark because they're launching a new API that they're charging money for, where previously scraping Reddit was free. And ChatGPT and a lot of these AI models that are charging money are using all this, in, this data that's been available to them for free. It's our data. Who knows out there? There's no medical GPT that's not being built off of all of our medical data. I'm not getting paid for that. What if I have some very rare disease, but now everyone, you know, this other company's charging money to get access to just because they compiled the data through a new software. So that's definitely a big part of it now. Are you like really trying to, 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 to follow that tide? Yeah, yeah. So what, what we're thinking here is like personal AI agents are the next wave of productivity. If you're trying to practice as a lawyer or as like hmm. any kind of content creative, anything like that, and like probably the next five years, you're not going to be able to compete without a personal AI agent. The same way that like, you know, now you really can't compete unless you have an iPhone and a MacBook, you know? And like, even if you just don't have an iPhone, like if you have an Android phone, you've got green messages, people are like, oh, I don't know what a phone will work with this person. We think AI is going to be probably the same extent there. It's going to completely take over. And so if you talk about like medical training data, if I have some rare disease and I've got my personal medical files on my computer, I can train an AI model locally and then I can actually sell you access to that data. And I can sell you access not to the data that I have, not to my private information, but to an AI model that's been trained by me locally, where now you can actually get the training vector back. Oh, so someone, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. Hang on. So you're saying that I could theoretically create like a Charlie Shrem GPT agent through all of my data. And then that I can, that becomes something that I can make available to someone rather than a centralized company making, taking that data and making it available to other people. Exactly, exactly. Or better yet, what you could do is you could trust access to the data to a specific person who has the hardware that you need to be able to kind of train that model. And you're gonna work with that person who you, who you know has a high reputation. And it could even be an anonymous connection, but you know that they have a high reputation of honesty and transparency and that they're not gonna try and run away with your data. Um, and there's all kinds of ways to do this with like trusted execution environments and stuff like that, where the data becomes completely self-sovereign and we'd move from a global internet to a local internet that happens between us instead of kind of above us controlling us. On chat GPT right now, that data that I put in, let's just say I get an email from my doctor and I don't understand it. I asked chat GPT to explain it to me. Where does that data go? Who, who now owns that data that I've just pasted in? The, uh, the message that you sent, definitely yeah. chat GPT. The person who's accepting the message, the really cool thing about this though too is you can also see a model here where when you make a request into the network, that is actually part of the training process. And so you're actually getting credits back for helping him to actually train the AI model. Oh, that's really um, interesting. And that's, I think, where the really exciting stuff happens. Are we, are, how can I build my own personal AI agent? That's what I really want to know. You have to tie together a few pieces. You need data feeds. So you need some devices out there that can go and gather all the information for you. And it could just be your device, but you probably want a couple more. So you want to kind of pay some friends to have those. You probably want some kind of like, very good distributed database where you can encrypt this information and put it on other people's computers because you don't want a vulnerability, right? You don't want to have it all on some Amazon server because then when like Amazon turns off your account or like if you forget to pay the bill or something bad happens, it could get deleted and that's not good. So you want like backups of the data storage. And then finally, you want a bunch of runtimes, not just one runtime. 
And the reason you want a bunch of runtimes is because if somehow your AI gets infected, you want to be able to know that there's a problem before you like file your taxes wrong or something like that, right? So you want to have replications of this model. Um, so this is why we think that cloud computing, the transition from cloud computing to community computing could actually be a really good way to unlock this because community hardware is pretty cheap and we can all share with each other. So we can do all these different little jobs for each other and then we can kind of collectively have access to really, really strong AI power, but like without having to kind of give up our control. It's like a decentralized Amazon mechanical turf. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Actually, you do a lot of that kind of stuff too with it. Um, like we're we're all training the model. We're actually getting a piece of the model, so you can even get it. Like you can get a bunch of other people to go and look through some of your images and tell you if like hot dog, not a hot dog, that kind of thing. There's just so many different applications of this. I really would love to see, especially after COVID, the medical world change. That's definitely been like a hot topic, and also the financial data. Being able to like scrape your financial data, your spending habits over the last like certain amount of time and have an AI built off of that. But at the same time, the only way I'm going to do that, you know, is through some sort of like personal AI agent, like as you were saying. And I really think that's the future more for like personal. But isn't that doesn't that creep you out that that's like the future of a smart home now? It's like then you take your personal AI agent and you connect it to Alexa. And all of a sudden now you're like, it's creepy. That's like the next level. Your protein is getting low. We've ordered you a steak. Yeah. Please eat. But it's like, yeah. you have it's to eat. What, what point does the AI feel like its failure is based on your failure and it doesn't want to fail? Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, uh, the over-dependence is where it gets scary for me. I, I'm more worried about us all depending on one AI than generally depending on AI. I already yeah. depend on a lot of AI. Like I use Google search every day. Uh, we use ChatGPT and Copilot. Like our team of like 18 engineers all use Copilot. You would not believe how much stuff we get done. We put out eight products in two years with 18 guys. I've never used Copilot. It's uh, I use. Oh, it's incredible. It writes your yeah, code I... basically. It gives you a first draft, anyways. This is really interesting. Yeah, we we probably we have the software development capacity at Koi of like 200 people with a team of 21 people. That's crazy that you have 21 people even. That's a lot of developers and a lot of people. Congratulations. Well, Al, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's been very good to talk. One kind of last question for you, I guess, would be, yeah. I've heard you called like a decentralization maxi. Where do you see this going? Do you think we get to fully self-sovereign internet? I mean, like it looks like money's headed that way, but maybe not in the US right now. It seems like people really want decentralized social. Where do, where do you see this all heading? In our lifetimes, probably not, but there'll be a very viable alternative. We'll be living in a world with like multiple type of networks instead of like, I, I kind of look at it like right now, the internet is like just one network. Would you agree? Like we're just, however it's hodgepodge together, the way we're talking right now is pretty much kind of like one system that's put together. But in the future, there may be more multiple types of systems that compete with each other. But at the same time, data, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be where like previous data, it's gonna be going forward. That's going to change in the future. Younger people now, when they start seeing their doctors in five or 10 years, their interactions are going to be different. It's all going to be different. We're, we're the experiments, but how we do it is not, going to, is not going to change so much to an extent that it may, things will be niche and fun. Maybe things will change in a big way. I don't think I'll ever see a mortgage fully be deployed on a smart contract instead of through some shitty servicing company, but you know, our children will. True. Yeah, I think it's all about what happens next in the succession of things. That definitely makes sense. It's been a beautiful we, thing uh, to be a part of. We've been of. really excited about seeing people trying to kind of reclaim control a little bit as well. 
if you're coming from a place that hasn't traditionally benefited from the internet, like a lot of North America has done pretty well. But if you think about it, the rest of the world is kind of paying us taxes. Like every time they ride an Uber or use Grubhub or anything like that, you know, we're getting a little piece of that pie. And it seems like that's probably where it's all going to start. Little bits at a time in different places. And then oh, you're right. Road, broken up all kinds of little pieces. But Thank you so much. Hey, uh, yeah, it's been really, really good to talk to you. I'll see you later. All right, everyone, we are back. I'm your host, Charlie Shrem, and I'm really excited that we're joined by our next guest, Marcus Levine, who co-founded the XYO Network in 2018. Marcus, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for inviting me, Charlie. It's awesome to see you again. It has been a while. Oh, man. So let's go back to 2018. You guys launched the XYO Network. I worked for you guys for a while, and it was really exciting yeah. times because what you wanted to do it's it's exciting to talk to you now almost what is it five years later and mm -hmm. see how all the visions that you've had all those years ago where you are now and how things have come so just kind of give a little bit of background you guys really wanted to launch as the first people-powered decentralized project that connects data from the physical world directly with blockchain smart contracts and other digital realities you have 5 million nodes now. You guys are one of the largest global blockchain networks in over 125 countries. With all the regulatory stuff going on right now, you guys are actually over that the hump. Your token trades as a security token on the T0 platform. I have so many questions, but like, take us back to the beginning. What was the, the crypto world for those listeners who, a lot of my listeners, Marcus, weren't around in 2018, 2017. <laughs> they don't understand how was the world, that was a bear market too. How is that bear market compared to this bear market? How is it different for you? You call it the OG world, but you're really the OG. <laughs> no. We started, you know, like a, a long, long, long time ago. But then in like 2017, there was a, a big hype, you know, like there was yep. always the ups and downs in, in crypto, but all long term is always an upward trend, right? And then uh, it's important, I think, to look at that, you know, especially if you look at, at markets today, I think about markets today. But... Uh, yeah, we got very excited about our project in, in 2017 when the markets were, were really hot. It was like 2021 uh, in our most recent cycle. And then we launched uh, in 2018 when the markets were not hot anymore. It's basically 22 and, and, and 23 in, in the current cycle. It was, it was super, 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 super hard. And I don't think we could have done it without your advice uh, at, at that time. But we realized... There were a lot of hype projects, of course, but uh, you know you need to build something real, you know, something which uh, attracts a lot of people, which is easily accessible, not only to crypto nerds like you and me, but other people as well outside of the community, and build something beyond the token, a, a, a real network and, and a product. We managed to do that over, over the last five years, and now we have have massive adoption. Uh, have a lot of people coming into our ecosystem and, and providing data, which are not crypto people. We think about 80% of the people who come into our network are originally not crypto people. Really? 80% of the people are not crypto people? What type of data? Like, what's, what's going on there? Yeah, so in the beginning, in 2018, we were all about uh, building an IoT network. So we tried to get partnerships with companies like Polycom or SP. SQ Telecom, which is a South Korean telecom provider and other, other IoT providers. It was difficult because we were a small company and you know, they didn't trust us with the IoT networks. Yeah. And so 
we build uh, mobile apps, and uh, one notably is called Coin. And uh, Coin is an augmented reality app that you earn rewards as you explore the world. But um, a mobile phone is an IoT device as well. It's a, even an extremely powerful IoT device. We basically got all these IoT devices by people using our, our mobile apps. Really? Inside the mobile app, uh, in the beginning, you, you were only doing these uh, bound witnesses, so in the background, cryptographic handshakes. And today, uh, you can do much more where you are able to uh, collect, uh, let's say, you do location-based surveys, or you collect other IoT data, like temperature sensors, this type of stuff, or you uh, you know you collect QI uh, data, so you validate and verify restaurant opening hours, for example, and and many 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 other things you can do in the app. A good example of this is that as a kid, or like even now, actually I just got as a gift like a, one of those weather stations that you build outside your house. You set it up, yep. you know, till rainfall, a lot of powerful data. And when you set it up inside your home or like the software, it asks you what network you want to join. And you can join like the weather bug network. You can join these protocols where you're submitting your real-time weather data, but you're not getting anything back. Like the weather channels selling that to its viewers. So this, this is almost like, it's an example. This is a very similar example of like, almost like a decentralized network that you could join. Yeah, exactly right. There's a new funny word in crypto. It's called deep-in or decentralized physical infrastructure, where you're able to collect data for example, or provide other infrastructure, like Helium is a good example for that, you are able to get rewarded for providing that data. Right? Someone, someone pays for it, for example, it could be someone who uses uh, our data in a smart contract, right? or, or a web tool company, you know, we, we work with a bunch of, of those as well. We get USD, for example, as a company, and then we turn some of that into XML, right? and put it back into the network. And so this way, we have this ecosystem, and people who, who provide data you know, get rewarded for their data, their personal data, but also the data they find somewhere else, like you said, the weather, for example. Okay, so it's not just like your own personal medical data, your mortgage information. I mean, stuff like that is valuable to advertisers and for like data scientists, but it's also about maybe like real-time data too, like mm -hmm. seismic activity, water levels, things like that. You're right, exactly. Yeah, we have uh, many partnerships and, and, and many different levels of, of, of data. Someone should launch this network for algae on the beach so you can have real-time people going out and checking the beach locations if there's algae or if there's certain type of like harmful bacteria or whatever in the water. And then you could submit that data, garbage, trash, people come and pick up. There's so much, so many good applications. But the problem is in the centralized world of today, all that data is only used for like capitalist reasons. You're not mm -hmm. seeing like democratizing and, and self I mean, the thing is, we talk about all these keywords all the time, democratizing, self-sovereignty, people's control. But like, what does that mean? You know, data is not just numbers on a screen. It's, it's people and their wealth, right? Yeah, you're right. Like, uh, I forgot the exact number, you know, but the Facebook user or Meta user, their data is, is worth like tens of dollars a year, right? And, and Google right, there has so much of your data, it's weird. Gmail and so on, right? And, and it gives that data away for free or almost for free, right? They give you a product which is appealing to you. And then that's the exchange, value exchange. And then a lot of other things, right? They collect your data and, and you don't even know where some data gets collected in the, in the background and, and they use it for their own gain and you are losing out. And uh, your data is, is extremely valuable and other people's data is very valuable. 
what it, this is all about is that uh, you have control over self-sovereignty. You have control over your own data. And you decide what happens with it, right? If you want to keep it private, it's, it's private, right? If you want to sell it, you can sell it. If you want to share it with a friend, you share it with a friend. But uh, you decide. What's also important is that you decide. There's no fair authority telling you your data is right or, or not right, right? You do that, and, and you do that through cryptography. You can show, you know, the something called data provenance, right? Where does the data come from, right? That you generated it, for example, that it comes from mm. your weather station, right? Whereas the data was stored, right? And then, then with cryptographic handshakes, like through the XYO technology, you can uh, then prove that the data reading, for example, came from your weather station, right? And, and that it ended up in a smart contract, uh, which got triggered when it hit 21 degrees. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So you can have like different things happen as, as they're, when things are triggered. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You can, uh, let's say, package lens on your doorstep, right? It, if you're talking about location data, right, then you can have an automatic payment to the vendor. Or if, yeah. uh, if I don't know, there's certain traffic patterns, right, in a, in a smart city, right, certain traffic patterns, why right, you, you change the traffic lights, for example, or you park in, in a spot uh, with your, with your self-driving car in the smart city, right, then suddenly you get charged for parking without touching the parking meter, right? It's that would be really cool. Smart contract based. So we are, are, where are you guys now with partnerships like this and, and people not just submitting data, but people building and using the data? Like, what's cool to you that you're seeing people using XY for? Yeah, we, first we, we see it's that we create this like web of, of all, the, all this different data. We have like partnerships with here technology, for example, and other geolocation type companies where we see that their data today is, is quite wrong. You know, and, and one of our partners, uh, a big, big company in that space, I don't want to call them out, you know, the data was 61% wrong. Yeah, oh UI a problem, right? If you, if you want to take your Uber, right, you go to a steakhouse and suddenly the steakhouse isn't there. And so our our data creates correct data, right, because of this data provenance. And, and so, so sovereignty, right, we can prove where the data comes from and, and that is correct and for who submitted it. And uh, so we have an extremely high data accuracy. To, and that's just very exciting in, in, in so many ways. If you think about supply chains or tracking of high-value goods, let's say organs, organ transplants, right? And oh, I didn't think about that. Organs too, yeah. Yeah. The medical world is changing. Everything is changing. Are you noticing, you know, the beginning of the episode, you said that as a new company, people were reluctant to make partnerships with you. Now, do you see yourselves a lot easier because you're five years old? Yes, much, much easier. You know, in 2018, as, as you know, everybody thought we are Pablo Escobar. <laughs> and if you looked at my LinkedIn, it's still, it says nothing there because of, of that time, right? No bank wanted to work without no insurance company nor nothing. Now, now it's, it's starting to get a little bit more difficult again in the US because there's current regulatory pressure, but uh, it's, uh, it gets much easier. Now, companies aren't afraid of, of, of blockchain. You know, they think, oh, it it's, can be a useful tool. But we it's certainly a lead. weird world we live in. Yeah, yeah. We certainly lead with our solution versus uh, that it's blockchain. When we say we can all, do all these amazing things, do so you want to work with us? And by the way, powered by blockchain, and, and that's fine. I love it. Marcus, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show today. Thanks, Charlie. And that's a wrap on this riveting episode of The Charlie Shrem Show. Please leave a review or subscribe. That's all I ask from you. We've gone deep into the trenches. We've exposed the empires and met some of the revolutionaries on the front lines of the data wars. But remember, this battle isn't waged in some far off digital realm. 
It's bought on your screen, in your apps, every single time you log on. So my friends, until next time, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay empowered in your digital journey. This is Charlie Shrem signing off as we continue to ride the waves of change. Remember, this is your voyage, your revolution, and your future. Make it count.